I always uh, thought that um, Pastor Scott was a real calculating guy. I never realized <clears throat> how risky he was. To ask me to uh, do this on April Fool's Day All week I contemplated how I was going to call about 8 o'clock this morning and tell him I had lost my voice. As it turned out, I didn't have the guts to do it, but Carrie did. She's truly a wicked woman. And from now on, he will be known as Risky Roberson. So it sounds like I remembered to turn the mic on. That's a good start. Um, how many of you are committed? How many of you think the person next to you in the pew should be committed? <laughs> I won't ask you to vote and say if I should be committed, because I know what you'd say. Well, we're going to talk about commitment today a little bit. And this is the best week of the year, the best week of the year. As um, Robin so neatly outlined for us, the, the week starts with Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry, and then it goes from there to uh, the crucifixion and the resurrection next Sunday. And the whole week is a week of um, celebration uh, because of the life that we have in Christ, and it's the best week of the year. I want to look at two scenes with you today that lead up to and are just a part of that uh, scene, kind of wedged between the triumphal entry, which is today, and uh, then the death and resurrection, which is next weekend. Um, without the death and the resurrection of Christ and his victory over death and his payment for our sin, we would be quite literally toast. Actually, I think we would be quite literally toast. The broad scene is the dynamic of all of these people cheering Jesus when he enters the city, and then less than a week later, crowds of people crucifying him. Jesus is hailed as king of the people, and then he's nailed as an imposter or a failure. Back and forth, huge divergence of opinion here about this man. Now, this, these scenes we're going to look at today are kind of a microcosm of that, that dynamic, and particularly with this little band called the Disciples. First um, act in this play that we're going to look at is the table talk. Uh, this is what we know as the Last Supper. It's the uh, Passover feast, and the normal part of this Passover feast, which they did every year, was to celebrate God freeing his people out of Egypt, bringing them out of freedom, and uh, the sacrifice and his protection of them. That was the normal part. The abnormal part was this hush, this threat of death that hovered over the whole scene at this particular Passover because Jesus kept talking about the fact that he would die and his disciples weren't exactly getting it, but they knew that there were powerful enemies out there that were after him and would take the chance if they could, and they knew by association that they were in danger as well. So it was an unusual Passover dinner because of this hush of the threat of death that was over this. So let's slide into that upper room for a few minutes and see if we can kind of get a feeling for, for what is happening here. As we look at Luke 22, I'm going to be taking a couple of references from the different accounts that are given to us in the Gospels. 
Uh, Luke 22 uh, says, In the same way, after the supper, <clears throat> he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with me on the table. Son of man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays me him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. So Jesus uh, lays it out here in terms of his um, betrayal. Jesus is moving toward his death with conviction, with direction, and with resolve, and he is in charge. But he says, somebody is going to betray me, and his hand is on the table. Right away, everybody got polite. They took their elbows and their hands off the table, and they were in their laps. (laughs) But a very strange thing happened. They started discussing among themselves who it might be. Can you picture that? Hey, do you think it could it be one of the records that even says they ask you, is it me? Is it me? But they start talking among themselves who it might be. And I'm thinking, wow. If we're gathered around the table at a time like that, and Jesus says to us, uh, you know, one of you is going to betray me, it seems to me that there would just be this hush that would fall over the group. And in their minds, they'd be saying, no way. None of us, certainly. But they start talking about it. They visit about who's going to do it. It's a weird thing. And then another strange thing happens right away. They get into not a discussion, but kind of a dispute, it said, about who among them will be the greatest. Can you imagine that combination of discussion? Um, Luke uh, 22:24 records that. They got into this discussion about who would be the greatest. And it's like they change the topics here, back and forth, like <clears throat> who will be the Grinch, who will be the greatest. Now, they knew a new government was coming, and certainly with every government, there's a president, there's a cabinet, and there's a chief of staff. And they're wondering among themselves and arguing and disputing which one of us deserves to be the chief of staff in the new government. I surmise that in their head, even though Jesus had said that that somebody would betray him, that they probably figured he'd handle that betrayal thing like he'd handled so many other things in the past. It would just be a bump in the road. The odd fact is that one of these loved ones was a betrayer. At this moment, they were discussing who would be greatest. Now hold that thought, that scene, and put it against the backdrop of what happened next. Going to go to uh, Matthew 26. Uh, Jesus um, told him, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. This very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Dying. That's a heavy commitment. To the man. Every one of them. 
heavy commitment. So for the week, you have the crowds vacillating back and forth, and now you have this inner core vacillating back and forth. At one moment, they're saying, what's in it for me? Will I be the chief of staff? And the next moment, they're saying, I'll die for you. Interesting dynamic, huh? Interesting bunch to bet your program on. Before we get too much on their case, let's consider that we just sang, let every breath, all that I am, never cease to worship you. Forever I'll love you. Forever I'll stand. And then how will we be doing on Monday afternoon? So we have this strange act, number one. We move to act number two now, garden guest. We've had a little intermission here. We're going to the second act. This happens in the garden, Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, let's see if I can find me here. Jesus went with his disciples to the place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he turned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for an hour or one hour? Yes, Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And so we see this bunch. They're in the garden now. And the request is made three times. Jesus comes back three times, and we didn't take time to read it all. But he says, you, can't you pray? Can't you stay awake? Can't you pray with me? As heavy as their commitment was, we'll die for you, so heavy now are their eyes. And they can't stay awake. So Jesus faces alone, this time in the garden, with his well-intentioned but pooped-out companions. Now, the second batch of guests arrive. Now, you may be surprised a bit that I call them his guests. But remember, Jesus is in charge here. Not only were the disciples preordained to be there, but these arresting characters were preordained to be on the stage as well. Jesus planned it. He orchestrated it, the whole play. There was no way that this bunch could have not been there. So we read in John, as they approached, Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they were carrying torches and lanterns and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going on, going to happen to them, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with him. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you that I am he, Jesus answered. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. 
this happened so that the words that had been spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who drew a sword, uh, drew a sword, drew back and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? These people were invited to the garden by Jesus himself. And he goes forth to them. He didn't run and hide behind a rock. He went forth to them, greeted them, disclosed himself, and when he talked to them, they fell back on the ground. The fact of the matter is that he could have slain them with a word. Note Peter's boldness here, much to his credit. It says that a cohort of soldiers came. That is 300 to 600 men. And Peter, with one sword, charges. <laughs> he attacks. Well, he only gets an ear. <laughs> not, a very, not a very good aim. You know, he was a fisherman. He, he probably cast, but, he, but he, couldn't, he couldn't do the sword thing very well. And then we have in one of the records, interestingly, uh, Dr. Luke, in his record, is the one that records that Peter restored the man's ear. His last healing miracle in the garden. And uh, then notice that uh, Jesus' resolve here, he is intent on this thing moving forward as he had planned. So both scenes, the garden scene as well as the scene in the upper room, they both are some of the fine print of this sweeping drama this week that we have between the triumphal entry and the crucifixion and resurrection. This week where Jesus is cheered and then crucified. The cheering and the crucifixion crowds and the, I call them the yo-yo crowds and also the yo-yo disciples. We'll die for you. And then they fled. They all fled and headed for the woods. So every play has a curtain call. You get to the end when all has been acted out. And just a last little note here that I'll throw in as we get to one of the points. Uh, in Luke 22, it's, uh, previously Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. When you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, if you look at the flow of what's happening here, and you look at the people involved on this stage and in this play, you look at Jesus and what he's doing, what he's accomplishing, there are a couple things that come to my mind. First of all, we all receive a cue of commitment. You see, we are actors on the stage as well. And we receive our cue of commitment. Everyone is committed to something or someone. Everyone is. They may be committed to God. They may be committed to Jesus. Everyone's committed. We all step up to something, and we sing, and we mean it. Whatever we're committed to, that's what we give our time, our money, our energy to. As we look around the community, we may say, well, some people's commitment is to soccer. Some people's commitment is to TV. 
Some people's commitment is to their children. They just live for their children. Some people's commitment is to their job. See, whatever we give our time, our energy, our heart to, that is the reading. That's the indication of where our commitment is. Well, as believers, we'd say our commitment is to the Lord. And so we sing to him, and we give to him, and we serve him. And we make those strong commitments to him. The second point that I notice is that we must choose again and again. Even if we've stepped up, we must step up again. And so Jesus said to Simon, this is going to happen, but later on you're coming around again. And this is because of our human frailty. Jesus said, your spirit is willing, but your body is weak. Obviously the disciples, all except Judas, stepped up again and again and again. So much so that later on, it was declared that these Christians, these disciples, are turning the world upside down. Now here's a thought. If our world today is pretty much upside down, and it is, and if we got pretty active out there and we turned it upside down, I think it might be right side up. Some of you have to work on it. Ask your wife or your husband to explain that later on, okay, to you. A third point here is that Jesus is no normal leader. Or he would have chucked this whole operation. But Jesus saw beyond the frailties, beyond the failures. He saw beyond, and he knew the future. He knew it all, and he knows it all. He planned it all, and he plans it all. What a terrific thing that Jesus, knowing our frailties, knowing what we're made of, knowing that one minute we can say, I'll die for you, and the next minute we can head for the hills, knowing all that about us, what a neat thing that he is willing to love us and die for us and pay for our sins and allow us to enjoy eternal life. Which, by the way, is not just life later that goes on and on. Eternal life is a quality of life that we live with God, and one aspect of that is it goes on and on. So you're enjoying eternal life today if you have him in your heart. What a good thing. In spite of all that we are, he loves us and cares for us. And then he even uses us to accomplish his plans and work out what he wants to do here in our time and place on our stage. The last thing is that abiding commitment is found in the sanctuary of love and truth. The disciples, frankly, committed to Jesus in the way that they did because in him they found love and they found truth. It is said that there's no greater love that a person can have than to be willing to die for others. In Jesus, they found one who loved them. And there is no greater truth than the biblical truth of Jesus' story. 
we're all in this play of commitment. But don't play with commitment. In regard to eternal truth, you dare not be casual or you will be a casualty. John Quincy Adams, in a letter sent to his son, stated that the truth related to God's person and work and character, even in the Old Testament, was so clearly presented. The truth of God's love and character was so clearly presented that, quote, nothing less than blindness can fail to discern and nothing less than fraud can misrepresent. Churchill said about truth, truth is incontrovertible. Panic may resent it. Ignorance may deride it. Malice may distort it. But in the end, there it is. Now you may look at the truth in the Bible and the message is there for salvation. And you may squirm all around the truth like a worm being, being put on a hook. Or you can take it straight on. You can read it, you can see it, you can believe it, and you can act on it. Now, I know this about most people. When they hear the truth, when they come right up against it, they're going to say, well, now that's interesting. That's good information that I'm here. I've blown it. I'm a sinner. God loves me. Jesus died for me. rose from the dead. They look at the, the facts, the presentation, by the way, which is very credible. Many, many witnesses. And they look at it and they say, well, I'll think about it. If you've never stepped up, don't you dare say, I'll think about it. I know this about you. You won't think about it. By the time you get to your car, you're thinking about lunch. Easter's not about the bunny, not about the chocolate, although that's one of the better parts. It's not about the big meal. It's not about the relatives. It's not about dressing up and going to church and hearing the great music and all that stuff. Easter's not about that. It's about the fact that we need to be saved, and Jesus did it. And so if we've never done that, if we've never received that gift, we need to step up. We're confronted with the truth. We need to step up. Don't squirm around it. Step up. In a minute, I'll give you a quiet time to do that. And it's really quite simple. You just ask Jesus into your heart and ask him to forgive you and turn your life over to him. Make this Easter, if that's a decision you need to make, make this whole Easter week the most incredible experience of your short life. Now, if you have taken that step in the past, as many of you have, and you are in the hardy band, then you may need to step up again. 
and uh, you may need to recommit. You may need to regear. You may need to reassess. You may need to decide again. You may need to solidify to be committed in a deeper way. And so I'm going to give you just a moment of silence here to pray. And when you do that, I'm asking you, don't think about it. Act. Talk to God. Let's pray. Lord, we know it's um, near impossible to know one another, truly. It's very, very difficult to even know ourselves because there's this little thing called motive that gets in the way, this little thing called heart that's very difficult to discern. And we think we're committed. Maybe we are, maybe we're not. But Lord, today, we want to give the very best assessment that we have. And we know that you know our hearts and our minds and our soul. And we ask for you to uh, simply move into our lives. This is a very special time of the year, very special week. Could be a very special moment right now for various ones here today. We pray that you would guide us into the truth that you want us to be in. Guide us into your love that you want us to be in. And we ask, Lord, that you might uh, have your way with us and uh, just uh, help us in the deciding that we do to uh, follow you in a truer and a truer way. Thank you for your word, which gives us truth. Thank you for the life that we see that Jesus lived and the death that he died and the life that he lives. Thank you that we can be in him and he can be in us. We can enjoy life that the creator intended for us to enjoy. We thank you for this day of life. Thank you for the moment of time we're in. Thank you for the things that you expect from us and the exciting things that you want to do through us. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and uh, thank you for all of your good gifts in him. Amen.